welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. One of my secret weapons is their Beelixir Brain Fuel, which is a caffeine-free alternative to morning energy drinks or coffee, but with some additional benefits. I take these little tiny shots with me when I travel, and I use them when I need to be especially focused for things like long podcast recording days or interviews, or on days I know that I'm going to be pole vaulting with my kids or having those important conversations with my kids, and I want to be really present and focused. Elixir is really cool because it has royal jelly, which is what bees feed to the growing queen in the hive. And it feels appropriate for me since a lot of days my house feels as busy as a beehive. But I found that when I want to be my sharpest, coffee or at least too much coffee isn't always the best solution because I can get jittery. And Beelixir is like a productivity shot that delivers the same focus but without the caffeine and can actually lead to a healthier brain over time. It's also packed with science-backed adaptogens. So it has royal jelly, but also ginkgo and some other herbs that help you get in the zone and also support brain health. I feel like we can all use a little extra support right now. And this is a great way to get brain fuel without the caffeine or sugar. I also really recommend if you're gonna check out Beekeepers, trying their Propolis Throat Spray, which is an all over immune support. And we use this as our first line of defense at the sign of a tickly throat or sniffles and found it really, really helpful. But you can check out all of their products and upgrade your medicine cabinet while saving 15% on a first order by going to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellness mama. So that's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com forward slash wellness mama, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-M-A-M-A to get 15% off your first order. This podcast is sponsored by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new personal care company that creates products that go beyond just safe and natural to contain beneficial ingredients that nourish your body from the outside in. See, many clean products just don't work that well. And this is why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate the toxic chemicals, but that have ingredients that work better than conventional alternatives while nourishing your body from the outside in. I am so excited to share these products with you. And I'm especially proud of our whitening toothpaste, which took years of formulating and dozens and dozens of rounds of tweaks to finally perfect. Our whitening toothpaste supports a healthy oral microbiome and strengthens tooth enamel naturally using ingredients like hydroxyapatite, neem, and green tea. Instead of fluoride, our formula contains green tea leaf extract, which is loaded with antioxidants. Plus, we use a phytochemical in green tea that's shown to fight bacteria that leads to tooth decay. We combine this with hydroxyapatite, a naturally occurring mineral and the main component of tooth enamel, with clinical studies showing that it can help strengthen teeth and avoid cavities. And of course, fresh breath is important when it comes to brushing teeth. So for that, we included peppermint leaf and neem. If you're not familiar with it, neem prevents bacteria from sticking to teeth and turning into plaque. So this protective measure means fewer bacteria, which leads to fresher breath. Check out our whitening toothpaste along with all of our products, including hair care and hand sanitizer at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. And a tip, if you buy a bundle or subscribe, you get an automatic discount that's built in both of those ways. So check it out, wellness.com. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. 
I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, which is my new line of personal care products, including hair care that is food for your hair and a naturally whitening toothpaste that gives your teeth the minerals it needs. This episode is about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and avoiding mom burnout. We also talk about the language of motherhood and advocating for what you need during all of those different phases. I'm here with Diana Spaulding, who is a digital educator and editor at Motherly, and also a certified nurse midwife, a pediatric nurse, a TEDx speaker, a mom of three, and the author of The Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama. And I hope that you will enjoy this wide-ranging conversation about all things motherhood. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I think this is going to be just a super fun chat about all things related to pregnancy and birth and motherhood, which are all some of my favorite topics. But with any new guest, I always love to hear a person's story. And I know that you are a midwife, but I'm really curious and would love to hear how you got into this world. And especially now being the author of a book called The Motherly Guide to Becoming Mama. How did you enter this whole world? <laughs> yeah, you know, this this has been um, a journey for sure, and not one that I ever could have predicted, but one that I feel um, so lucky and excited to be on. Um, I am the daughter of a midwife. My mom has been a midwife. She's retired now, but she was the director of a midwifery practice in Boston for 30 years. So I grew up around birth, um, and I never actually outwardly at least wanted to be a midwife um, because that was always her thing. Um, But looking back at it, I realized that, you know, I've always been destined to be a midwife. I um, used to line up my like dolls and teddy bears. And instead of having, you know, like tea parties or whatever, like normal kids do, I used to like deliver their babies um, (laughs) and have them sitting on my bed. And I'd be like, posh, posh. So I've always been a midwife at heart. Um, But I went to undergrad and studied anthropology um, and fell in love with public health. Then I decided to be a nurse. So I worked as a pediatric oncology nurse for five years in the Bronx. Um, and during that time, went back to grad school thinking I was going to go for to become a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, but I took one class in midwifery just to like check it out. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I switched over um, and birth has had my heart uh, ever since. Um, I then worked at a hospital in New York City for a few years, and then we moved to Pennsylvania, um, and I started a motherhood wellness center um, because I felt like, you know, one of the things that I was missing in the clinical setting as a midwife was having time, right? like time to connect with women and time to really hear their stories and, you know, address their fears. And so the motherhood wellness center allowed me to have classes with people while they were pregnant and do a lot of sort of one-on-one work with people um, about their sort of individual concerns and hopes for their pregnancy and birth. Um, And then as part of that, I decided to start a blog just because I was like, well, that seems like a thing I should do. I should have a blog. And so I wrote a few articles and Motherly found me um, from one of those articles back when Motherly was pretty brand new and reached out and said, hey, we wondered if maybe you'd write a few articles for us. And I said, yes, obviously. Um, And then we, you know, kind of fell in love and dot, dot, dot. It's almost four years. And I'm now the uh, digital education editor at Motherly. And it is my full-time job. Um, And I spend 
my days, uh, I spent a lot of days writing that book. And now that that is done, I spend my days um, still writing and speaking about pregnancy and birth. So it's it's been, you know, certainly this was not, uh, not what I thought I was signing up for <laughs> when I started midwifery school. Um, but, you know, I love it. Um, I love, I love the work that I do each and every day. That's so great. And I have a huge soft spot for midwives because I'm a doula uh, and also was a midwife and just haven't had time to finish that yet. But I think and really believe that the way we give birth has can have a very dramatic impact on women, you know, and like you always hear that saying, like, all that matters is a healthy baby. And I always respond to that with that is certainly the most important outcome of a birth is we want a healthy baby but it's not all that matters. And when a woman has a baby, she also becomes a mother. And that experience is very, very transformative, even if it's not your first child. I feel like birth always has the ability to change us. And I think midwives especially have a very unique space in holding the place for that to happen and letting it have the calm to happen naturally. And I, in my own life, have seen contrast with different births, both in the hospitals with doctors, in hospitals with midwives, and then at home with midwives, and just the difference in the level of care with midwives. Um, And also just as a doula and assisting midwives, I've had a couple of times when the midwife couldn't make it in time with very fast births where I got to catch the baby. And those have been some of the more memorable moments of my life beyond my own births. And so I think there's this beautiful culture around birth that women are the gatekeepers of. And I love midwives who do that beautiful, beautiful work. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, and we're going to have to trade. I'm going to need to hear those stories at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's true. You know, I often will say that it's not so much about your birth experience. It's about how you experience your birth. And by that, I mean, you know, it's not like a certain type of birth. In, in quotation marks, um, is like the best type of birth, you know, because um, for some women, that's going to be an unmedicated home birth. And for some women, that's going to be a plan C-section, you know, um, but it's about how you experience that birth. So if you experience it, you know, feeling empowered and trusted and supported and like you were an active member of your team, that's what matters, you know, when it comes down to your birth. And certainly, I mean, if you if you have goals for your birth, you want, you know, that unmedicated home birth or whatever, like it's great. And and you should be supported in that. But ultimately, yeah, it's about, it's about the experience and how you felt through that experience. Um, And I completely agree with you and feel really deeply and passionately about um, supporting women um, and people through that statement of, well, at least you and the baby are healthy, you know, because I agree with you. I mean, of course, ultimately, that's what, what we would choose, but it is about so much more than that. And that was, you know, a huge piece of and is a huge piece of becoming a midwife for me is helping women feel honored through that experience um, and beyond. Exactly. I think one of the beautiful lessons I've learned from my time working with midwives and also birthing with midwives is just a shift in the language surrounding birth. Because like, Mm. you know, like we don't always get to choose our birth scenario. And that was hard for me as a very type A person with both my first birth and my third with, you know, with the first one, I was determined that I was going to have the perfect natural birth in a hospital, but I was young. I had never had a baby before. And I just assumed like, I'll just pick a doctor. And of course they're going to support me and it's all going to happen. And of course I can handle it and it's going to be great. And ended up with a different doctor 
who was on call, who I didn't know, who was not on board with any of the things I wanted and ended up with a different birth experience than what I had hoped for and had to kind of wrestle with that. And then with my third was in set up for a home birth. I had actually two ultrasounds. They did not catch placenta previa in either one. And at 35 weeks, I hemorrhaged and had a not optional, even a little um, C-section. And I struggled with feeling like a failure in that. And, and I really just think like midwives have helped me with my last few births to heal from those experiences and also to change the way I talk about birth. Like one of the first few times I worked with a midwife or was in like those first pregnancy appointments after the C-section, I would ask questions like, well, am I going to be allowed to? And they would stop me and say, no, 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 this is your birth. I don't allow or not allow you. You are driving this. Or I would say, well, when you deliver the baby, they're like, oh, no, no, you deliver the baby. I just catch the baby. And it just helped me reframe my power in that. And I think that's something that, and, and certainly there are incredible doctors who you know, are incredible at facilitating those birth experiences. And I think it is absolutely possible to have an amazing birth experience in a variety of situations. I just think midwives are uniquely exceptional at helping support women in the beauty of that power they already have in birth and helping them remember that and being that calming force. Certainly for me, every time I hit transition, even though I know all this and even though I've helped with all these births and I know all the data, I reach that point where I go, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Which in my head, I'm logically going, that means you're in transition. You're almost to the end. You're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> transition <laughs> is like the great equalizer, right? Like <laughs> everything that you thought you do, you're like, but I read about this at the birth, what's happening? And I've heard it said that birth is your ultimate reality. And I think it helps you face um, some parts of yourself that you maybe don't have to face in a lot of life situations. But as a midwife, what advice would you give to women, especially if they're in a first pregnancy, for being able to, as much as possible, because certainly there's always extenuating circumstances like I learned, but as much as possible to facilitate and learn about and create and curate the kind of birth experience they hope for? I love I love that question. Thank you for sharing your story with me because I love that. Um, and it's so, it, it's on a personal note, although it's all personal, right? But on a very personal note, um, it's ironic. Today is my, um, we're, we're speaking today on my daughter's birthday, my eldest's birthday. Um, and so today is like the anniversary of me becoming a mother. So, you know, like anytime your kid has a birthday, you're like, I'm like, okay, and now I was, you know, I was in transition now. Oh, this is when I got my epidural. This is when, uh, you know, so it's very, um, it's, it's fate to be talking about this as a midwife on my, like my birthday as a mother. You know, I think that one of the things that makes becoming a parent so challenging right now is that there's so much noise. There's so much, you know, access to so much information. Um, we have access to social media. And that means that we have access to really rich, wonderful, evidence-based information. And we have access to people's opinions and people's judgment. And we, on social media, are very vocal with that judgment, especially when it comes to pregnancy and birth and parenting. And I do believe that it mostly comes from a good place. You know, we want to like protect each other and we want to share our experiences and that comes from love um, and community and togetherness. So I don't think it's a bad thing. However, when you are the one who is being told all of these opinions and all of this, like, oh, well, you know what you should do or, oh, well, you know what happened to my sister. So therefore you should blah, 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 blah. 
Um, and it can it can be really overwhelming and it can, um, I think, drown out our connection to our own inner voice. And so to the extent that you want to, and everyone's going to feel differently, you know, start talk to people, get your friends, sister's birth story if you want to, you know, ask opinions on social media if you're brave, you know, go, go for all of that information and then tune it out and tune into yourself. Remember that every single pregnancy and birth story is going to be different. So just because something happened to, you know, somebody that you read about doesn't mean that's going to be your experience. When you feel anxious or fearful about something that you've heard, go and talk to your provider about it. Because so often your provider can be like, oh, well, it sounds like that happened because X, Y, Z, and you're really at a low risk for that because ABC or whatever. So, so often our providers can, can help us to you know, relax any nervousness that that we may feel about things that we hear coming up. But ultimately, you know, with the guidance of your provider, tune into what it is that your intuition is telling you and what you really want. Um, You know, I promise not to talk the whole day about my, my transition into motherhood, which is nine years ago today. But I thought that because I was a midwife, I was like, well, I'm a midwife. So midwives, you know, midwives give birth in birth centers and we don't get epidurals because that's what we do. So that's the kind of birth that I'm going to have. And I think that had I tuned out, you know, not, not that anyone was telling me that, but I had this like perception, you know, and I think if I had tuned that out and if I had just listened to myself and, and trusted my inner wisdom, I would have known that I am a midwife that gets up <laughs> So I wouldn't have waited as long as I did. And maybe I wouldn't have, you know, I had a lovely birth, but maybe it would have been different and even more lovely. So I really encourage people to, you know, again, to, to tune out the noise and trust that you will be able to figure it out. Even if that means that you don't know what you want right now. I work with so many people who say like, I don't actually know if I want an epidural or not. I don't know. Like, that's okay too. It's okay to trust that in the moment you will know. Your body will tell you, your providers will help you. You know, you will be able to figure out if you need pain medication or not. And that's, you know, that's just one of many examples of decisions that you have to make. Um, but in motherhood in general, you know, it's listening to your intuition and, and trusting your gut and trusting that even though you've never done this before, be it giving birth, changing a diaper, raising a human, you know, you, you possess an inner wisdom and you can trust that inner wisdom. Beautiful. And happy birthday to your daughter and happy mom day to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank I love what you said, because I had the same type of mental filter. Um, before my third, I had this, like, I have natural births. I am never going to have a C-section. And then when I would read pregnancy books, I would skip the C-section part entirely. Cause I'm like, I don't have C-sections and until I did. And in hindsight, um, I'm a huge fan of the quote, amor fati, which means like, love your fate or love what is, and not just like it or accept it, but like learn to be absolutely grateful and to love what it is. And that was one of the more challenging experiences of my life. And I actually almost died, but it also was extremely transformative. And I think it gave me an empathy 
as a doula and as a friend and as a mom that I wouldn't have had if I still had that filter of, well, I don't have C-sections because I'm better than that. And it made me realize, you know, all that we want in life is not always in our control, but beauty can still come from that. I love that. And so I, I love that that's your perspective. And I think you're right. Like we can plan and hope, but also our perception is so important. And I see so many women who beat themselves up who, because they didn't have the exact birth experience that they want. Um, and that makes me so sad to see because at the end of the day, um, even if it doesn't go how we went, every birth is incredible and beautiful and how it should be, even if it wasn't exactly how we hoped. So I just, I love your perspective on that as well. Thanks. And, and I love that you say that. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, listen, at the end of the day, like a human has come out of your body. Like that is amazing. You know, I've been doing this for like a decade now and I'm still like, wait, what? Really? It's just, it's just so fascinating. And that that can happen, you know, any any way that that human comes out of your body is amazing. And whether that's, you know, through surgery or through pushing or, you know, or maybe your, you know, your journey to motherhood is through adoption or surrogacy or gestational care. You know, there, there's so many ways into motherhood and none of them are like more than the others. You know, it's, it's just like, it is your story and your story is perfect. And at the end of the day, the thing I always come back to that all moms have in common is that we want the best for our kids and we want the best for their future. And I've always said that moms are the strongest force of nature on the planet. And if we could unite around what we agree on and not what we don't, which we tend to get stuck on in social media, that we could, I think, change many, many things in the world within the course of a generation. Um, but to shift years a little bit, I'd love to just go into the practical a little bit and kind of touch on some of the different phases of growing a baby. Um, the first being pre-pregnancy, because I think often this one gets forgotten. People um, start thinking about pregnancy and having a baby when they find out they're pregnant. But at least from the research I've seen, there's so much we can do pre-pregnancy that can affect not just birth outcomes, but how you feel during pregnancy and even your child's future health. So from a midwife's perspective, what are some of the common things that you often recommend for women preconception? Yeah, no, I love that question. So, and it's interesting because, you know, almost 50% of pregnancies in this country right now are unplanned. So, you know, some people plan and, you know, get pregnant or some people try very hard to get pregnant for a long time. And some people find out that they're pregnant well into their pregnancy. So I think that one of the things to keep in mind is that wherever you are on your journey, like even little steps can make a really big difference. You know, sometimes like people feel like, oh, I didn't totally go on this like fertility cleanse diet thing. And, you know, you can still make really small but meaningful steps um, wherever you are in your journey. So I just want to convey that. One of the things that I think is really helpful if someone is planning for pregnancy is to do what's called a preconception health visit with your provider. This is going to be probably the person who you go to for your GYN care. So maybe it's already a midwife, maybe it's already an OB, maybe it's a GYN, you know, so you can go to them or you can all, like, if you're thinking maybe you want to switch practices, you can start sort of scouting around, but go to somebody in women's health for a preconception health visit. And this is generally done, you know, ideally two to three to four-ish months before you want to start trying to conceive. Um, and they're going to help you look at your specific scenario 
and help you make decisions that are right for you. The tough thing about pregnancy and, you know, all of health really is that we all come from such different places. You know, we have different medical conditions. We have different um, beliefs about healthcare and things that we're, you know, wanting to do and things that we're not wanting to do. We have access to different resources. Um, we have different risk factors. And so meeting with someone prior to getting pregnant, if you can, can help to look at your specific story and then you can help, you know, to make tweaks to that story as, as appropriate. So, you know, maybe they're going to look and they're going to say, oh, you have such and such chronic health problem and you're taking this type of medication for it. We need to look and make sure that that medication, you know, is safe for pregnancy. Should we have you continue it? Should we stop it? Would stopping it be worse than continuing it? Um, you know, so they'll look at the different aspects of your story and help fine tune it so that you can get as healthy as possible for your pregnancy. Um, and then the other piece is mental health. You know, even if you don't end up having a, um, a prenatal or postpartum, prepartum, postpartum, um, you know, depression or anxiety, this is a humongous transformation that you are about to go through. And there are lots of hormones and there are lots of changes and there is a little bit less sleep and there's all of that good stuff. Um, and so I think that we would all do well to look at our mental health as we go through conception, pregnancy, and beyond. And also, you know, statistics, they're you know, upwards of like one out of four, one out of five um, people will experience a postpartum mood disorder. And so having a mental health therapist that you trust and like on board, should that be the case for you, can be really helpful. And even if not, even if they're just helping you with, you know, coping skills for when things get stressful, or if your conception journey turns out to be a challenging one, or if pregnancy, you know, brings around complications that are really hard for you, you know, I think whatever your story looks like, paying really close attention to your mental health is always going to help you. Um, and, you know, as a midwife, I believe that there's a very strong mind-body connection. And so helping to ensure that not only your, like, uterus is and blood <laughs> is healthy, but also making sure that you're, you know, emotionally and mentally as healthy as possible um, is a great place to start. Great advice. Okay. So what about when it comes to pregnancy? I know that there's many phases and just like any aspect of health, this is of course very nuanced and very personalized. And of course, someone should be working with a practitioner who they share um, an outlook with and have in their corner during this time. But what are some of your common recommendations or maybe potentially overlooked things that women can do during pregnancy to improve both how they experience the pregnancy and also to lead to a healthier birth and postpartum? Yeah. So, you know, again, like with all, like you said, with all recommendations, you know, certainly check in with your provider before trying any of these. Um, but one of the big ones I think is movement. I think is finding ways to be active, um, you know, every day of your pregnancy. And that's going to look really different. Um, if you are already like a runner, you know, talking to your provider and checking in if running can continue through your pregnancy in a safe way. If you don't do any exercise, it would be more my camp, um, you know, thinking about, okay, what are some gentle ways that I can start incorporating movement into my pregnancy? 
movement and exercise have been found to have so many positive effects on um, on pregnancy. You know, it's going to help with fatigue. It can help with like morning sickness. It can help with um, with blood pressure. It can help with weight gain. It can, you know, um, so many aspects of your pregnancy. And then as we move closer and closer to birth, um, movement can help the baby to be in a more ideal position, which can help to have your birth be a little bit easier. Um, and then it can also help when it comes to your postpartum healing. So finding a way to move your body that feels good, um, whatever that means for you, as long as it's safe is really important. Um, and I think starting to reframe how you think about healthy foods. We have this like diet culture, right? That we are constantly bombarded with as women. Um, and one of my like so least favorite expressions is this sort of bounce back you know, mentality, like, oh, you've got the baby, it's time to bounce back. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I do very little bouncing when I'm postpartum, first of all. And second of all, you know, it's not about losing the weight, it's about being healthy and healing your body. And I think that that starts during pregnancy. So thinking about foods that are deliciously nourishing, as opposed to what are all the things that I can't eat? I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to you know, sort of this like restriction. Certainly there are foods that, you know, many recommend that we don't eat, but really reframing how you think about food during your pregnancy as a way to nourish yourself and as a joy and as a delight so that you can take that attitude into your postpartum experience. Such good advice. Um, what about when it comes to birth itself? Um, obviously this again, is very nuanced and individualized. Um, but are there things that people can do to help have that birth experience that they want while also keeping in mind and being okay with the fact that birth is often very unpredictable and could change at any moment? Yeah, I believe a lot in, um, in education. So taking birth classes, um, you know, obviously I believe in reading birth books. Um, I think that can be really helpful. I think it can be really empowering to have as much information as possible about as many aspects of birth as you're comfortable learning about so that you feel empowered going through your journey. Um, the other piece is thinking about your support team. So I'm chatting with you, a doula and, and soon to be midwife. So, you know, I know I am preaching to the choir here, um, but considering who is going to be your support when you are in labor and considering if that person should um, be a doula. So doulas are, you know, people who provide expert level coping skills and support during your birth. And research has found that people that have continuous support through their births have fewer interventions, have uh, shorter labors, and report a higher level of satisfaction with their birth. Now, doulas are not going to be an option for everyone. Certainly, there is a financial investment involved. Um, and also, you know, we are, we are talking um, during June of 2020, when many hospitals are, are not allowing doulas to be, you know, in the hospital because of COVID-19. Um, so it's, you know, it's not an option that's going to work for everyone, but we are able to consider who 
that support person or team is going to be um, and choosing them very carefully and remembering that you don't owe anything to anyone. So, you know, your like mother-in-law's cousin desperately wants to be at your birth. Like I'm sure she does, but you don't owe her anything. So if she's going to be helpful and she's going to be a positive, a positive support to you, then go for it. But if she's not, you can politely decline and choose the support team that's going to help you get through this um, difficult but awesome experience. That is such a key. I think often overlooked. I think women, it's hard to know until you've been through birth how you are going to feel during your birth experience. And I've had a couple where there were people there who I wasn't completely comfortable with. And it definitely makes a huge difference. Um, I think that your birth environment, like you said, is a very important key to how the birth is going to go. And of all times, certainly ever, you don't want to do anything during your birth experience just to appease someone else. Also to echo what you said, I'm certainly biased, but having served as a doula and also having hired doulas, I also believe that quote that if a doula were a drug, it would be a crime not to use one. Uh, we, we know the outcomes are so much better. And certainly many midwives, I feel like, do double duty and support the mom even while facilitating the birth experience. Um, and so often, maybe it's just having a calm, experienced woman there makes a tremendous difference. There's a sisterhood of birth and that a rite of passage into motherhood that only a woman who's been there can truly understand. And I think maybe that's why we see really good outcomes with midwives and doulas is just having that calming force. Um, For me, I know it's made a huge difference. Like I said, even in those times when I start panicking, even knowing all the data, just to have someone outside me saying, you're almost there. This will be over soon. You've got this. You were made to do this. Your body's got this. And even though you already know it internally, just hearing those words can be so, so reassuring in that moment. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. One of my secret weapons is their Beelixir Brain Fuel, which is a caffeine-free alternative to morning energy drinks or coffee, but with some additional benefits. I take these little tiny shots with me when I travel, and I use them when I need to be especially focused for things like long podcast recording days or interviews, or on days I know that I'm going to be pole vaulting with my kids or having those important conversations with my kids, and I want to be really present and focused. Beelixir is really cool because it has royal jelly, which is what bees feed to the growing queen in the hive. And it feels appropriate for me since a lot of days my house feels as busy as a beehive. But I found that when I want to be my sharpest, coffee or at least too much coffee isn't always the best solution because I can get jittery. And Beelixir is like a productivity shot that delivers the same focus but without the caffeine and can actually lead to a healthier brain over time. It's also packed with science-backed adaptogens. So it has royal jelly, but also ginkgo and some other herbs that help you get in the zone and also support brain health. I feel like we can all use a little extra support right now. And this is a great way to get brain fuel without the caffeine or sugar. I also really recommend if you're going to check out beekeepers, trying their propolis throat spray, which is an all over immune support. And we use this as our first line of defense at the sign of a tickly throat or sniffles and found it really, really helpful. But you can check out all of their products and upgrade your medicine cabinet while saving 15% on a first order by going to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash wellness mama. So that's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T 
B-U-R-A-L-S.com forward slash wellness mama, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-M-A-M-A to get 15% off your first order. This podcast is sponsored by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new personal care company that creates products that go beyond just safe and natural to contain beneficial ingredients that nourish your body from the outside in. See, many clean products just don't work that well. And this is why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate the toxic chemicals, but that have ingredients that work better than conventional alternatives while nourishing your body from the outside in. I am so excited to share these products with you. And I'm especially proud of our whitening toothpaste, which took years of formulating and dozens and dozens of rounds of tweaks to finally perfect. Our whitening toothpaste supports a healthy oral microbiome and strengthens tooth enamel naturally using ingredients like hydroxyapatite, neem, and green tea. Instead of fluoride, our formula contains green tea leaf extract, which is loaded with antioxidants. Plus, we use a phytochemical in green tea that's shown to fight bacteria that leads to tooth decay. We combine this with hydroxyapatite, a naturally occurring mineral and the main component of tooth enamel, with clinical studies showing that it can help strengthen teeth and avoid cavities. And of course, fresh breath is important when it comes to brushing teeth. So for that, we included peppermint leaf and neem. If you're not familiar with it, neem prevents bacteria from sticking to teeth and turning into plaque. So this protective measure means fewer bacteria, which leads to fresher breath. Check out our whitening toothpaste along with all of our products, including hair care and hand sanitizer at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. And a tip, if you buy a bundle or subscribe, you get an automatic discount that's built in both of those ways. So check it out, wellness.com. Okay, so you touched on it a little bit about the lack of sleep and becoming a new mom. Um, and all of that. I think another thing I'd love to delve into with you, and you can probably speak to as a mom as well as a midwife, is self-care and managing overwhelm and burnout during motherhood. And this is actually very close to home for me because I'm working on another book right now that will be called Zen and the Art of Dirty Dishes. And it kind of touches on this entire um, idea of the fact that as women, we have so many beautiful opportunities in today's world. And many of us are involved in careers or business or work in some way. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we're still moms and we're still birthing the babies and often we're still managing the emotional responsibility of a household. So we've added many things to our plates and we now are responsible for all of those things. Um, So I'd love to hear any tips you have on managing burnout and avoiding it and making time for actual self-care that's regenerative during especially those busy times of motherhood. I love that title so much and was just like laughing to myself because like 10 minutes before we were supposed to talk today, I was doing dishes and my husband was like, um, babe, don't you have like a podcast with that person that you're like wellness mama? Like, isn't that a really big deal? Shouldn't you? And I was like, I know I just have to do the dishes really quick. And I was like, babe, I think, I think you can just go to your podcast. I think it's okay. <laughs> so I totally identify with that. I love that. Yeah. And this is a huge, a huge thing for me, this is like the hill I'm probably going to die on, is working on burnout with moms. Um, Motherly every year does a state of motherhood survey. Um, And this year we found out that 89% of um, women do not feel that our society does a good job supporting them. And the result is that many, many moms feel burnt out either chronically or occasionally, but it's all something that we can identify with. 
And the reason that burnout is a big deal is it's more than just like, oh, I'm so tired. I need to like take a bath and go to bed early tonight. It's like a real embedded chronic health problem. And the World Health Organization has recently added burnout as a diagnosable occupational phenomenon. Um, so it, it's like the real deal and it has real health consequences. Um, people that experience burnout have more heart disease, more diabetes, more mental health issues, uh, high blood pressure, um, the list kind of goes on and on. And so it's really something that we need to address. Um, and the problem with burnout is that it ends up being about more than like simple acts of what we sort of have come to know as self-care. You know, so this idea of like, oh, I'm just going to take a bubble bath and have a glass of wine tonight. Like, okay, that's lovely. That's not going to fix your burnout. <laughs> burnout is the manifestation of, you know, pretty significant shortcomings in our society and our culture, um, many of which women bear the brunt of, you know, uh, no federally mandated um, parental leave. The cost of childcare in this country, um, you know, racism, sexism. I mean, there, there, there are so many layers to it um, that make becoming a parent right now really hard. And moms are really, are really having a hard time with it. And a lot of moms are getting burnt out. And again, it has pretty significant consequences. And so one of the things that I think is really important is, um, is talking to people during their pregnancies. And I really like one of my other pet peeves is this sort of like, oh, you think it's hard now, just wait until blah, blah, blah. I don't like doing that. But I do think that it's important to let soon to be parents know, you know, some of the realities of it so that they can prepare and help prevent some of it for themselves. So while people are doing the work of improving those sort of foundational problems in our society that lead to burnout, uh, lead to burnout there are some things that we can do ourselves to help minimize the impact of it. Um, one of which is just sort of being able to recognize it, knowing what the sort of symptoms of burnout are, um, and then finding little but meaningful ways in your life to prevent it. So maybe that's, you know, having a really good look at your your work, whatever your work is. Um, and I say the word work um, broadly because we all do work. It's just a matter of where it happens. <laughs> is it taking care of toddlers in your home? Is it working in an office? Um, but looking at your work and thinking about, you know, are there ways to make small but meaningful changes so that your work isn't as exhausting? You know, who can you have conversations with in your community, in your family, um, prior to parenthood or, you know, in the middle of parenthood about helping you to manage the load. Um, you know, we were not meant to parent alone. This sort of time in parenthood is uniquely challenging because even before the pandemic, we were doing this very alone. You know, a hundred years ago, we like lived in villages and our mom lived next door and our aunt lived across the street and we'd seen a hundred births before and we we were just around it and we around each other and now we're very isolated. So finding ways in your community, in your family to breach that that isolation can be incredibly meaningful. Um, and the last piece I think, and this is you know certainly an ongoing quest for me, is is finding grace and finding gentleness with ourselves. We are so 
hard on ourselves. I think as a culture, I think particularly as women and then particularly as moms, we are just like, we're so mean to ourselves. Um, you know, the way that we talk to each other and the expectations that, or the way that we talk to ourselves and each other, uh, the expectations that we put on ourselves. And so really paying attention to how you're talking to yourself and how you're thinking about yourself and seeing if you can start to shift the inner dialogue to one that is more compassionate and one that says like, yeah, leave the dishes in the sink. It's okay. Like you're still a good mom, (laughs) you know? Yes. You know, say no to joining the PTA if it's going to stress you out, like say no to extra soccer, whatever it is, giving yourself permission to put yourself first and trusting that that is actually the best thing for your child. Absolutely. I love that. That's an amazing statistic to me that you said that 89% of women don't feel like society does a good job of supporting them. And I echo what you said about community. I think that's something we've lost to some degree in our modern times that people used to have. And certainly kind of right now in all the chaos of everything that's going on, we've lost that in-person community that's so, so important. So I think to the degree possible that we as moms especially can really help curate that and create that community. And we know from the Blue Zones that having strong relationships and a support system is actually one of the most impactful things you can do for lifelong health as well. So really always encourage moms to be the force of creating that community. If you don't already have it, find ways to create it and reach out to other moms and really start to build that because it's dramatic, not just before pregnancy and birth, but throughout all of life to have those solid relationships and friendships and women in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had a feeling our time would fly by because I knew we could talk about so many things about about pregnancy and birth. But um, as we get close to the end, there's a couple of questions I love to ask. The first being, if there's a book or a number of books that have had a dramatic impact on your life, and if so, what they are and why. So I love this question. Um, And I immediately thought of two, so I hope that's okay. Um, The first one is called Infections and Inequalities by Paul Farmer. And I read it back in college or maybe high school. And it was the first time that I sort of, that it really made sense to me that it connected that somebody's health is deeply connected to like the, the society around them. And that it's about so much more than like making healthy choices, you know, because for some people, for a lot of people in the world, like there are no healthy choices to be made because there is a, a system around them that's, that's really sort of crushing every aspect of their life. And so that was the book that sort of turned me on to the concept of public health um, and sort of started me, I think, down this path. So that was one. Um, and the other one was Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. Um, I think another public health person. Um, maybe that's, that's like my next thing in public health. <laughs> but I just, I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility actually after I graduated from midwifery school. So after like I was like supposed to know all of this stuff and it still revolutionized the way that I thought about ovaries and the body and just how the whole system works. And I remember being one, like having this moment of being like, oh, I'm going to continue to be amazed by this process forever. Like there's never a time when I'm going to not be. And two, I loved the 
accessible way that she wrote about the information. And I think that that has always inspired me in the way that I write about, you know, birth and pregnancy and bodies, you know, to, to make sure that it feels accessible and empowering always. So those, those would probably be the two big ones. All right. I think we're going to have to go a couple of minutes longer. I love that you brought up taking charge of your fertility because um, this wasn't actually on my list to talk to you about, but it's something I get a lot of questions about. And um, a lot of women want to know when you are past the point of wanting to have more kids, what are some of the natural ways that you can avoid more pregnancies? Because it seems like, at least from my research, there are not any um, conventional kind of hormonal options that don't have potential side effects. And I know this is an area of um, frustration for a lot of women. So if you don't mind, speak from a midwife's perspective on how we can manage our fertility once we are either done having kids or want to delay having kids for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And it like my, you know, my soapbox answer is like, it's not fair. (laughs) It's not fair that like, it has to be so hard, you know? So one of my favorite parenting quotes, you're not doing it wrong. It's just that hard. And like, that's very much the case here. Cause a lot of times people feel like there is no great option for women, you know? So I think that first of all, um, if you are in a relationship with a person who produces semen and you are having intercourse with that person, you know, depending on how permanent you want the fertility control to be, you know, don't forget that there is another person that you can talk to about, you know, vasectomies um, and remembering that vasectomies are actually incredibly effective and are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's an, it's an in-office procedure um, and it, they're uncomfortable for a weekend-ish and then it's usually fine. So let's not forget that we don't necessarily have to be in this alone. Um, beyond that, you know, there are certainly birth control methods where you're charting your own cycles. And um, for that, I mean, I, I cannot recommend taking charge of your fertility enough if you're considering, um, you know, natural fertility, natural birth control methods, um, simply because Tony Weschler breaks it down so beautifully. Um, and it's for, you know, the book is about like how to get pregnant and how to not get pregnant. <laughs> so that would be a really great place to start. Another important thing, though, is to talk to your provider if that's something that you're considering, simply because it's, it's a, it can be a very effective method, but it, it sometimes doesn't work as well, um, depending on certain health, you know, things that you have going on. You know, so I guess those would be the two that I would really consider if you're, if we're talking about um, non-hormonal. Now, I did just get an email that there is a new non-hormonal birth control foam, I think. I don't even know what it's called. I just read it the headline quickly, so I have to go and read the article that was just approved by the FDA. And it's like one of the, the first, you know, advancements in a long time in female birth control. So that might be exciting. Um, and then the other option, you know, that I would consider is, is the IUD, especially if we're talking about longer term. There's hormonal IUDs, but there's also non-hormonal IUDs. Um, so that might be an option for somebody who is hoping to have a longer term um, birth control method, but is not interested in hormones. Um, and that is something that is inserted, you know, just in an office visit um, with your OB or your midwife or your GYN or your nurse practitioner. 
Great rundown. Thank you for that. And lastly, um, any parting advice doesn't have to be birth related or pregnancy related, but it could be that you want to leave with everyone listening today. Gosh, um, you know, I think I, I shared about, um, you know, being gentle with yourself earlier. I think the thing that is really, you know, is really striking me today, again, about this moment um, in history where we are, is um, is about the disparities in healthcare. You know, and I think it's really important that we continue to pay really close attention um, and advocate for everybody and all women. Black women are three to four times more likely um, to die from pregnancy, birth, and postpartum complications. And so as we go on our own wellness journey and our own health journey, which is incredibly important, we also need to continue to do the work of being allies and, um, and helping other women in our community and outside of our community. So reading and advocating and writing letters and, you know, speaking up and all of that stuff. Um, because ultimately, you know, you know, you were talking earlier about the importance of community and that is like the foundation of community, right? Is making sure that everybody has, um, has the same rights and the same access, um, and the same potential for health, you know, that, that everybody else does. Um, so I think that would be, that would be my, my sticking point for right now. Beautiful. I absolutely agree. I think that it is an absolute travesty that in today's world, the U.S. ranks so low in some of those key factors, like maternal mortality, especially for minority groups. I think that's completely unacceptable. And you're right. I think um, as women and moms, that's something we all need to be part of the change on because certainly we know we can do better. Lastly, where can people find and learn from you? Obviously, I'll link to your book in the show notes, but where else can people find and stay in touch? Awesome. Thank you. So you can find me over at Motherly. So it's mother.ly. And I have all articles all over the place over there. Um, And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and all those places that I'm like starting to be like, I don't know that much about social media, but there are people that do and we are on them. (laughs) So all the social media places you can find us at Motherly. Beautiful. Diana, thank you so much for your time today and for all the work that you're doing for women. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Oh, and thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing your valuable time with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.